This is chapter 165 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, a first-time author puts a humorous spin on our new do-everything-from-home reality. Then, suspense writer Mary Burton tells me why the villain is always the most important character in her books. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed our lives in ways we didn't even imagine was possible when 2020 began. Working and learning from home is almost second nature by now, but we'd be kidding ourselves if we say it's gotten any easier. Enter Lindsay Reckler, who saw the humor in our new reality and wrote her first book, Good Morning Zoom. In your own living room, there was a computer and flowers in bloom and a picture of all the kids from your class on Zoom. And there was your mom and your dad working on an iPad. And grandpas. Thanks to Penguin Random House for that audio clip of Reckler's Goodnight Moon parody. I got the chance to ask her about why she felt she had to document the pandemic in this way. I work at an investment bank, and like so many other families, my husband and I were both working from home with our three- and four-year-olds in April, May, June, throughout the summer. And uh, during the springtime, I I started thinking a bit about how to explain to my kids why their world was just completely turned upside down, why we were no longer going to parks. They didn't see their friends, their grandparents. They had no idea why their teachers, you know, all all of a sudden became their mom and dad. And in order to answer those questions, I thought the most relatable way that they would understand what was going on in the outside world would be to tell their story and a story of, you know, this new normal. And that's why I wrote the book initially. Now, were your kids fans of the original? We're big readers in our household, so there there were many books that we read at night, and I think Good Morning Zoom is really just a parody of our time. So specifically, you know, I, I tried to make it relatable, so whether it was playing with pillow forts or mom and her top that she's wearing nonstop, which people find humorous because it's quite literally a replication of our own lives. I mean, I I went from working a job that was, I'd say nine to five, but it was probably more seven to eight. And, you know, putting on a suit every day and going into the office and, you know, I was taking conference calls from my pajamas that I was wearing throughout the day, and the kids were 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 rarely were rarely getting dressed. They were in and out on their Zoom calls, and it was just a parody of this weird time that we're all living in together. When did you realize that this book had gotten bigger than just what was going on with your family? It's a very good question. So the story behind the book is that I wrote the book really for my kids. It, it, the truth is, I, genuinely, to answer those questions. You know, we're we're very close with our family, and we used to see grandparents every weekend, and now the only way they saw their grandparents was through a barrier of a screen. And I didn't want to talk about COVID-19 in a scary way. So I wrote the story, and I sent it to a few coworkers who also have young children and said, what do you think? Maybe it's something you can also share. And they came back and said, wow, you know, you should share this with their school or with more people. So I I literally Googled how to self-publish a book on Amazon. I put it up on Amazon, and after 
one or two social media posts, it became the number one new children's release. So I think right away, you know, it, it seemed to have resonated with people. And from there, obviously, we partnered with Penguin and, you know, it's taken on a life of its own. But I, I think the story just captivated people because, again, as I said before, there's so few times where you go through something that the whole world is in together. And I think the book just captured that moment. Were there any changes you made between the self-published version and the version you're now putting out with Penguin? We There were a few minimal text tweaks. Um, yeah, we, we, we updated it a bit. I think we just added, um, you know, our own take. It's always good to get another set of eyes, but but the concept is similar and most of the most of the sentiment is, is, is very comparable. I love that the, it strikes a hopeful tone as well. And it seems like a good reminder that eventually we're going to be able to, to socialize and see our friends and our grandparents and our teachers again. Yeah, I think that's really also why I went with this concept of good morning. You know, it, it's a scary subject when you think of it as the light at the end of the tunnel, the, the family looking towards that outside window, knowing that if they stay patient and, you know, stay safely inside, that this will eventually come to, to an end and life will resume to somewhat of a normal, you know, a normal thing that we were used to every day. And I think that's kind of what not only children need, but the parents need as well. You know, the days could be long and frustrating. And, you know, I, I also want to note that I, I, I wrote the book in contrast of an inside world and an outside world, where those on the inside, which was the family, were lucky to be safe outside. But on the outside, there was our essential workers and the true heroes of this pandemic who were going out to risk their lives every day. So I think, you know, the combination of hope, but also understanding that we're lucky that there are other people who are out there trying to save the rest of us. And, you know, it's an important message. And is that why all the proceeds from the sales of the book are going to COVID relief charities? Correct. When I when I first self-published the book, I thought what a great platform to raise money. So AuthorNet proceeds uh, for the self-published book and the entire first print of the Penguin version is going to COVID relief. So, you know, it's just it's a feel good story for me in that the book seems to have an impact on people and we can also do some good good with it as well. So I guess in addition to now your mom, your teacher, your, your, you added author during the pandemic, do you plan to write any more now that you've got this first one out of the way? We'll see. I think if the topic is right, I'm open. It's been an interesting experience. I obviously, you know, am going to keep my day job in finance, but I think I've learned so much, like so many other parents through this experience. I mean, I'm I'm teaching Zoom classes uh baking and cooking. And I, I just feel fortunate that I've been able to spend this time with my family, even though the, the, the circumstances outside our window are obviously less than idea, ideal. And if another book pops up, if Penguin likes it, then sure. <laughs> well, we've been speaking with Lindsay Reckler. The book is Good Morning Zoom. Thank you so much for sticking with us and maybe giving us a reason to smile during this pandemic. I appreciate you having me and stay safe. The newest suspense novel from best-selling novelist Mary Burton has a dash of mystery, a sprinkle of romance, and a whole lot of heat. That heat is provided by several suspicious fires that take place years apart and the race to catch the arsonist. She sets up Burn You Twice for us. The story um, kind of revolves around a woman named Joan Mason, and Joan nearly dies in a college house fire. She's just about to graduate. 
the house in the middle of the night catches on fire and she barely gets out alive. And it really traumatizes her. And she had thought she'd live in Missoula, Montana for the rest of her life, but she's just completely upset by this fire. And so she returns home, leaves everything behind, returns home to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Joan becomes a cop and then becomes a homicide detective. And her specialty becomes arson investigation. When the book opens, it's 10 years since that fire. And um, Joan learns that the man who set fire to her house is out of prison. His name is Elijah Weston. And she feels pretty certain that he's going to set more fires. So she decides it's time to go back to Missoula and, and not only face him, but the man she left behind, who's now also a detective, his name is Gideon Bailey. Elijah's not out of prison more than two or three days, and there's another fire in town and a woman is killed. And at first, she's convinced he set the fire, Elijah, but they realize he had a solid alibi. And um, there starts to be more fires, and each time Elijah has an alibi, and she and Gideon realize that there is another arsonist in town. And that maybe what happened 10 years ago, it, it, it went down differently than they thought. So it becomes kind of a race to figure out what happened 10 years ago and who is now setting these fires. So that's the, that's the book in a nutshell. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of blending the past and the present and, and uh, it's a bit of a race against time. So I think readers can get from that synopsis that the story really centers around fires, big and small. Do you find them fascinating or frightening? Oh, they're um, they're very frightening. I mean, they're very destructive. Um, and most people underestimate how quickly they can consume a structure. Um, because when I was doing um, research for this book, I had attended the Writers Police Academy last year in um, Raleigh, North Carolina. And we had an arson investigator talk to us. And about five years ago, I'd been at the same conference and, again, another arson investigator. But that time they had done a controlled burn of a kind of a fake room built on the back of their property where they did their training. And um, I was totally amazed at how fast this fire went through this kind of fake room and how it just became a life of its own. So, yeah, it's... um. It's very formidable and um, definitely something to um, be concerned about. I was going to ask you what sort of research you did, because I know you love research. Are there any other rabbit holes that you ended up going down as you were looking up details for your story? Oh, sure. I um, I, I ended up buying a, quite a, several books on arson and kind of reading through those, trying to understand why and the psychology behind it, not only the mechanics, but the psychology. And um, there was a um, there was a book written, and I don't remember the title of it, but it was written by an arsonist. And um, just listening to, I was listening to it on audio as I was driving, and um, just listening to the mindset of this guy and why he did what he did. And uh, it's, you know, like I said, it's it's frightening to um, not only the, the combination of the fire, but the mind behind a fire. You know, someone who loves to set them. That's that's a scary combination. And that really comes through in the book, too, because at the end of chapters, you kind of have these little diary entries, I guess, if you will, the confessions right. of an arsonist. So you kind of know what's going on in this person's mind. 
and I wanted the reader to get a sense of what this person is thinking, because sometimes it, I'm always looking for ways to to slip into the bad guy's point of view, um, because it kind of I think it adds a little bit to the suspense, and it kind of sets the stage. You know, this is what this is what we're facing. This is the person we're chasing, and I'm always trying to remind the reader that this person is still out there. They're still thinking about you if you're not thinking about them. <laughs> Now, you didn't set any fires yourself in the process of doing research, oh, did you? Good. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can I can barely start the gas grill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to go back to what you just said about um, trying to get into the, the mind of the bad guy. Have you ever mm-hmm. uh, thought about writing a book from that point of view solely rather than from the person doing the investigating? I've done books where I've been in that person's point of view a lot throughout the book, but not the entire book. I mean, they, I always find that the villains are really kind of one of the most important characters in this book because they're driving the story. If, if they didn't have their issues and their goals, there really wouldn't be much of a story. Um, that, so they, they understanding them. And that's, that's one thing I struggle with in every book is, you know, what is driving this person? Not, not necessarily the crimes, but why, why are the crimes happening? Why is this person driven to do it? Um, I'm writing a a suspense right now, and I spent a good part of yesterday thinking about, okay, why is he doing this? Why, why, why? Um, Because um, I think that's just as interesting, you know, you know, what what drives people? I love the Montana setting, and I want to know what drew you to Montana? Is this a place that you're very familiar with, or is it a place that you've always wanted to visit? Oh, I love Montana. I used to, way back in the day, I wrote um, historicals, and I set a couple in Montana, back, you know, historicals set in Montana. And um, I've always loved the country, the, the state. I've never been there. I've done a lot of reading on it. I wanted to go there this spring, this spring, but or um, last fall. No, this spring I was hoping to get out there, but you know, travel changed a good bit. Um, but um, I love, I, I just love the idea of it out there, the openness, and and again, Montana's the type of state where the land becomes a character unto itself um, because it is, it's formidable. I mean, it can change on a dime, the weather, the conditions. Um, it can be harsh. You know, there are areas where there is no cell phone. You are on your own. So that, again, that adds another layer of tension. I'm always trying to think about that when I'm setting a book. Like, you know, how can the setting add another layer of tension to the story? For a thriller especially, because, I mean, I'm a city kid through and through. I couldn't imagine living somewhere where your nearest neighbor is miles away. And if there is a bad guy roaming around town, then you're kind of on your own. You are. I mean, I have friends who live in west, the western part of Virginia, and Wi-Fi is still spotty in some of these places. And it, it's always foreign to me when I get there um, to the farm. It's just sort of like um, I can't – we get so used to being connected through technology and, you know, great roads. And um, it's just it's, – it's always um, a reminder to me that the world's a pretty big place. You mentioned you're working on your next thriller. What can mm-hmm. we expect? Well, the one that comes out in the spring is going to be a follow-up to Burn You Twice. It's called Near You. I have the two char- the two female characters in Burn You Twice. I have not only Joan, but Ann Bailey. 
And Anne, as I was writing Burn You Twice, I kept asking myself a lot of questions about her. Like, you know, is her story really finished? I felt like I kind of left her story with some loose ends. And um, so in Near You, which comes out in the spring, I kind of get into her story, her relationship with Elijah and her relationship with a a new man she meets um, from Helena, Montana. But um, it's... um, She's she's going to be the follow up, and the one I'm working on now is actually the one after that. It'll be out next fall. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I know there are some authors out there they write standalone books, and if they leave it a little open ended, the readers kind of have to deal with it. But I'm glad to hear there'll be some sort of resolution to Anne's story. Yeah, I think, I, and I will get emails if I don't resolve a storyline, um, <laughs> even if it's a secondary character that only had a bit part. I I will get emails like. Well, what's going to happen? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out yet. But, um, yeah, they just – and I like to leave this, some of the – I don't like to answer all the questions. It's I think it's kind of interesting if, if the reader can kind of fill in some of the gaps or I have an opportunity to come back later and, and write another story that fills them in. And also the us readers have to get used to the fact that life doesn't end – everything with a little neat little bow on it. So our book shouldn't do the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. And I, exactly. Endings in life aren't clean cut and they, sh- I like them when they're not so much in fiction. You got to give them a little bit, you got to give them a little bit of re- resolution, but those extra questions are always the good, that keep people thinking afterwards. Well, we've been talking with Mary Burton. The new book is Burn You Twice. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Oh, thank you for having me. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time, we feature a cool children's book series that's helping adults share the music they grew up listening to with the next generation. Until then, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.